Good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Vintage McCoy. Tonight's program is going to have, uh, I, I think he's, he's the friend I've had the longest in, in the entirety of my 56 years on this earth. Uh, he's known me since I was in grammar school, and we've been friends throughout that time. And he was actually my first Christian friend. And he's a prolific author. He's a counselor. He's a, a, just an amazing man, uh, a, a great husband, great father. And he's written a book, and this book is so timely. It's The Seven Deadly Sins of the Church. Uh, I, I don't know if I have the title right, but the thing that you're going to see tonight is how the church has gone from the world to the word to being woke. And uh, my guest tonight is going to be Mark Baker. Stick around. You're going to be blessed. This is going to be quite a program tonight. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One small step for man. All of God's children be able to sing with new meaning. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee, I sing. We shall pay any price, bear any curse, uphold any foe, to ensure the survival and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are. The defenders of freedom. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to keep. And now, your host, Pastor Rob McCoy. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. As I said, uh, my longest-running friend, his name's Mark Baker. I call him Bake, but uh, tonight I'll call him Mark just so you all don't feel uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I got the title of his book wrong, but that's okay because uh, he's going to describe it. And candidly, I haven't read the book I love the title, and I love this man and his insights, and he's always on the cutting edge of the issues that we're facing in this country, and he has the gift I don't have. He's able to put really profound thoughts on paper. Now, I made a living just using my voice, but he has the written word, and he's, he's a wonderful counselor, and he's a tremendous writer, and like I said, he's a prolific writer. He's written many, many books. Uh, and this one is timely because we're going to see a 70-year 70 70 history of the church, and, and he has outlined this, and he's talking about how these, these errors in the church have uh, destroyed the church and how it's refining the church all at the same time, going from the, the word to, to the world and then to being woke. And th there's, there's silver lining to this, and he's going to cover it all tonight, and so Welcome, my dear friend, Mark Baker. Mark, welcome, man. Thanks, Rob. Thanks again. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I like your wife's studio. It looks good. We'll talk about that tonight because I see one of her posters in the back uh, with the scripture verse on it. And uh, she just does such good work. She's so, well, uh, you married well. That's all I got to say. I, she didn't marry well, but you did. And so. Yep, just... I agree. Everyone, <laughs> funny enough, everyone agrees. That, that hurts yeah. a little. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm definitely blessed like you are. Well, yeah, amen. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so Mark, uh, I want to let me put the title of the book up so folks can see it. Um, if we have a copy of that, can we put it up on the screen for everyone to see? So it's it's seven deadly errors destroying and refining the church, and then you you have uh, the, the subtitle at the bottom: the history of how the church went from the word to the world to the woke. And it goes to the woke church and what we can do about it. So, Mark, describe this book. Describe why you wrote it. Um, and, 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 of course, you're going to go into the silver lining of it all. But we're seeing this issue with the woke church. I mean, uh, I've, I've referred to Vody Bachman's book, Fault Lines, where, you know, we're dealing with critical race theory. And there's been a chasm in the body of Christ in this last year where, these woke churches are posting black tiles and marching in BLM Inc. You know marches, and and their their attendance is precipitously dropping. And then churches over here that have embraced liberty and have stood in in contention with the tyranny, uh, who who have not bought into this fact that we owe reparations and that an immutable trait that God's given us doesn't make us systemically racist and that. The Enlightenment thinkers don't meet, need to be done away with, nor does does absolute truth, nor does the the scientific method or or empirical data, and and we do not buy into this idea that that truth is established by your intersectionality of uh, 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 of of your people group or your victimization group, and your political prowess to decide what is true, and that we have to rewrite the lexicon, and there's no longer semantics. I've always adored this about you, that you love the Word of God and you love truth and you always pursue truth. And everything that you do is from a scriptural perspective. And, and uh, of all my friends, you, you are the one that I have always looked back to and, and realized anytime you gave me counsel, it was always attached to a scripture. And that is a great gift God's given you. And I remember early on, you'd be memorizing whole blocks of scripture. And now with your counseling that you do, it's all biblically based counseling. You take people to the word because the Bible's the only book in the world where we don't read it. It reads us and it's living and it's breathing and it's sharpening two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And yet the church is moving away from truth. It's embracing the world. Breitbart said that, that politics is downstream from culture and fascinatingly enough, culture should be downstream from the church, but the church doesn't set culture or drive culture. It seems as though it's adapted to the world's culture, and now it's becoming, quote-unquote, woke. Can you describe what the word woke means? Can you describe the, all these terms that maybe some of the folks viewing don't quite grasp or understand, and, and how this book came about and why you wrote it? Okay. Well, thanks. Yeah, um... First, you know, the just wokeism or woke is kind of a euphemism or a synonym for leftism, Marxism. And there's a whole thing there. And that that's the seventh 
error, the seventh deadly error, and you at least alluded to, if not mentioned, the sixth error, and kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but uh, the seventh error is what I call world-approved Christianity. And like oh, you are saying... Title. Good title. Right. Wow. Right. And we, um, as the church, like you mentioned, we should be influencing the church. Excuse me, the church should be influencing the world. But, but something changed... Um, over the 70 years and mainly in the, I would say the 80s and 90s where somebody's, people had the idea, you know what, in order to win the world, the Bible, that actually offends them. So let's let's stop teaching the Bible. Let's kind of, we'll kind of give lip service to whatever, but we'll kind of put it over here and we're going to teach other things and that's going to, uh, is pragmatism, it's going to draw people in and see, we have more people and so therefore it works, but we had the sacrifice, we, whoever they did it, uh, the truth on the altar of numbers or church growth, and that was the church growth movement, which was is the second era. Uh, I know I'm jumping around here, but uh, hey, so, go ahead. Let's just let's just go down them one by one, since I screwed up the order just in my introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, so let's let's go back even before that. You know, some of the basic principles that we all kind of know, if not just very familiar with, is that. Uh, the, the church is, is set apart, you know, the, the true church, as far as we're just defining it as believers. We could define the church as wheat and tares, too, because there's non-believers in the church, in your church, my church, but but the church, the, the body of Christ, the true believers that are going to be with him in heaven. But the Bible talks about how to be, if we're friends with the world, we're adult, we're committing adultery and we're being enemies of God. And the, and the world, they're, like you said, they're not the enemy, but in some ways they are. They're the opportunity and we're trying to reach them, but they're at odds with us and they tend to hate God, reject God and the word and so forth and his people. Let me, let me just uh, insert this, that when I say that they're not the enemy, they're the opportunity, their ideology is the enemy. Right, but they right. are the objects of God's love. So they're not the enemy, they're the opportunity. The opportunity is to contend with their ideology that, that, to help right, better define right. that. Right, right. And so in their belief system and systems and various things, they're, they're opposed to, they've, by definition, they've rejected God, if not hate God in his word. So that's right. where they are. And, and it's not like we're better than them. That's just where they are. And we're trying to say, hey, we want to help you. We want to help you. And, 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 and so the, in a lot of ways, the, this book is not about the world and how bad they are or whatever. It's about these Christians, real or, or not, I don't know. I don't know their hearts, but they're saying, you know what? The world actually has some cool ideas. And you know what? We need to go over to, to this thing, this, this, and we can borrow from that and pull from that and do from that. And so the, the, the book has a lot of that in there. But again, just this understanding that the, the main thread through all of this is where the many in the church have embraced the world's wisdom. And in scripture, it says that God considers the wisdom of the world foolishness. And the scripture says that the world considers the wisdom of God and God's ways as foolishness. So they're diametrically opposed to, but you have these people that are going, wait a minute, we, we don't want to be rejected by the world. We want to just get them to like us. And if, if cutting out the Bible and cutting out sin and cutting out this message and adding that, if that lures them in, then the ends justify the means. And yeah. our, our hearts are in the right place. Well, as, as we know, air has consequences. Sin has consequences. And that's where we are. That's how we went from teaching the word relatively. There's many problems 70, 80, 90 years ago and, and other problems today. But first we, and this is, will offend people, but if you understand it right, that the first one was humanistic psychology. In the, the 60s, 70s, where we embraced... 
humanism, basically, we call it psychology. But And by the way, the world, they've rejected God and all that kind of stuff, but they're trying to make sense of life just like we are. Right. But they rejected the word of truth, the embodiment of truth, the spirit of truth. And now we are trying to look for them for key truths at pivotal times in our life when we're struggling. Hence, that's why I'm a biblical counselor. I And, you know, if I gave you counsel-based, you know, word, it's not like I'm some brilliant guy. It's like, I want to get it right. I, 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 I trust God and his word far more than any person ever. And that's what his word tells us as well. So it's not some good characteristic about me. I just, I get it. I, I And as you do too, you get that too. And as many Christians do. So back to this, that humanistic psychology, they're trying to make, if they're trying to understand who man is, what our purpose is, how to change, what to change into, all of those things, yet all while rejecting the key truths of life and the truth in their life, right? So what kind of truths are they gonna have? And, and so yet we've kind of set aside, it's not just that we went after that, we set aside scripture and said, well, that's not really enough. We need this and we need that and we need that. And so that has been taken into the word and into the church and and at that point, a lot of changes started happening. We became started becoming more like the world in statistics, like the same divorce rate and all right. that kind of stuff. Because we're George less. Bar George, George Barna points that out that statistically we're we're pretty much no different than 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 the world. When I say, and when we say the world, we mean uh, those outs that that don't adhere to our faith practice. Right, right, and those that have you know again, they some people just don't merely believe they don't know, but there's other people that are very adversarial, and and a couple of the key leaders are like Freud, and uh, Jung, and and Maslow. These people that have all overtly aggressively rejected God, and we're going to their ideology. And I was just talking to a young man somewhere in Southern California today, and he was trying to figure out his problems by going to Freud and Carl Jung, who was Carl Jung was this uh, occultist mystic guy that. Uh, had all these weird beliefs in Freud. He was, we could do a whole three hours on that guy and um, brilliant, amazing. I had to read a couple of books of his in school and, but there are all these treaties on him trying to do away with God. Totem and taboo and Moses and monotheism. And you're like, wow, this guy's brilliant, but he has just got this bitterness towards God and his own people and Christians and it's sad. But nevertheless, we have so many Christians sitting under their teachings every single day. So yeah. that's that was that's humanistic psychology. Humanism is basically that the belief that there's no um, non-material thing. Everything's material. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no God. There's no afterlife. Everything. We're a bunch of chemicals. And so if we're going to change, if we understand things, we just need to understand. And so hum, humans, humanity is at the top of the food chain and superiority and all that kind of stuff. And so basically, mankind's worshipped, and and we look to man for the solutions. And another theme that runs throughout all of this is we look to man and man's wisdom, but also subjectivity, not objectivity. That's what's destroying, that's what's dividing people. You have one group that's more objective or objective-based, another group that's more subjective that follows feelings, experiences, mysticism, man's wisdom. And that describes the, the main divide in our world and church. So then we move to the second one where people, they said, oh, wow, you know what? This is not really working, but here's an idea. What if we did the church growth movement? If we took some of some marketing principles and we did, uh, we, we took some more of man's wisdom, we took more of this and we did research and we, what will really work? And oh, teaching from Leviticus doesn't work. And I know you did recently, but. Uh, well, we that, that started, that started in Willow Creek and then came over to Saddleback and, 
you have the church growth movement and the seeker-sensitive kind of thing. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. Right, right. And so those two guys, uh, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren, were kind of the two twin titans, if you will. Um, but they were they were mentored by a, a business guy uh, to to how to run this as a business. And um, like you you use the alliteration uh, baptisms, buildings, and, and budgets. You know budgets, yeah. Yeah, and all kind of numbers based, and 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 that's that's an actual real thing, and it's not bad per se, but but that's what they had everything focused on as far as success is popularity, how many people we have, as yeah, opposed growth, to growth growth metrics and and seeker sensitive means you know what does the customer want, and so it's a business model, and that's that's how they approached it. Right, and have it your way, and so oh, you don't like the Bible, you you want more stories, you want less this, more of that. And, and Rick Warren and his wife, before they, they literally went door to door and not the bastion, but they went door to door and took, oh, what do you want? And, you know, they came up with this research on how to build a church rather than the simple thing is faithfully teaching God's word and letting God yeah. do the rest. And um, I can't quote the scripture, you know, I'll pull it up here in a second, but it's uh, in second in first um, Corinthians, no, 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 no. It's 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 one Corinthians. Come on. Oh, okay. Why, why do you say that? Uh, Trump said it. It's a joke. Oh, Never mind. Okay. Go ahead. So he said, and Paul says, in my speech and my preaching, we're not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, and, and simply like that. But they're they're going well, but. Humanity, humans, they have a lot of good ideas and all that kind of stuff. So they went that route. And, you know, I was just, I met with a woman this week or was it this week or last week? Again, somewhere down south, a big mega church, a different one, many campuses. And um, and she, after 10 years, and if I'm getting the story, after 10 years, someone finally shared the gospel with her, I think, outside of the church. Wow. And she, and she never had heard it, but she had been in a leadership position of a deliverance ministry for like 10 years and she never knew the Bible. She didn't know Jesus. And she said to me the other day, she said, if I would have died like three months ago, I don't know where I'd be. But for 10 mm -hmm. years, she was in this church and never really heard the gospel. And she was in this position of leading. And she's leading people, teaching them what to do about key things in life, but never heard the, the Bible, never heard, again, the gospel. So one of the things, one of the lasting legacies, I think, sadly, of the one of them is that you have a lot of people that are biblically illiterate, but also they never really heard the gospel, but they think they're saved. And that's the worst place to be, if you think about it, that to be saved, I don't need salvation because I'm taken care of, yet you do. I'm not judging. I don't know who. I'm not saying this person, that person doesn't, but that's the worst place to be rather than I know I'm not saved and I'm looking. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I've told you that so that you may know you have eternal life. That's right. a comforting passage, and yet folks don't know that. They don't know right. the Lord. They don't know that 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 their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That they're secured for eternity. It's it's that's why we're on this earth is to know God and make Him known and to be connected and to 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 be forgiven and to be restored and reconnected. So yeah. And so I think you know some of the churches. You know what's happening now. The the silver lining is it, one of them is that the refining part that, like you said, in the fault lines that, okay, people are being 
you know, they want, they're hungry for truth and they're sick and tired of the madness or at least they're trying to make sense of what's going on. And so they're drawn to churches that are, have it, even some truth, like, oh, okay, this is better. Um, I talked to a woman this week or last week in the in the UK and she, she, she came recently out of the new age and she's, even there, she's like, I don't even, I've looked around, there's no churches to go to. So here you have this babe in Christ all over and she's looking all over, even online, and by the way, I sent her your link and one or two other links, but um, she, there's no place to go. And she, these people are wanting the word. Yeah. They, they have this unique hunger, like as, you know, like a new Christian, they have this, I wanna, they're just soaking it up, but they can't find it. But fortunately we have some churches, at least they can watch online. Uh, so I recorded with Dennis Prager on his fireside chat and, and he, he, he's Jewish, but his comment was, Rob, why are churches not open and yielding to this and, and accepting the declaration of the governor of California that the church is non-essential? If, if they receive that, then they truly aren't essential. They, 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 what is their role? And I told him, I said, you know, a lot of the churches are like TED Talks with music. They're, they're no different than a TED Talk with music. And, and really, in a pandemic, the church is critically essential. And I, I, it's so sad. You, you, you have this woman who's looking for a church and can't find one. I mean, that just, I just, I, I can't process that. It's just baffling. Well, it happens all, so. happens all yeah. over. I was talking to a yeah. woman in, in uh, all over, I, in Oregon and Pennsylvania, Florida. We get, all we, we get calls at Turning Point all the time. Do you know a church in my area? And we, we, put, we put the call out. If you know a church that's open and is teaching the Bible, you know, and is, and is faithful and is contending for freedom, let us know. And, and we've put together, a, you know, a series of churches. People did respond, and we, we put them in this, this catalog. But, Bake, trust me when I say this, there, there aren't a lot of them in, in a lot of states. There are some that we still haven't had a referral in, in major cities in the, in the country. And how sad is that? And it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise a lot of people. And and because that's why there's been so many, this didn't happen overnight. This whole, the book is kind of the, the uh, boiled frog syndrome where this yeah. has been happening over the past 70 years where one compromise leads to another, leads to another. And, and you know, the mega churches are still going on, the church growth movement. And and people still look at that. And, and I don't know if you put him in this category, but Joel Osteen, I mean, he has the big church. I don't know if he's the church growth movement, but um, I remember my wife saw an interview he, him and his wife did like 20 years ago with uh, Larry King. And, and Larry King asked them, you know, what would you say to your, basically your detractors that say you're not really teach the Bible or whatever? And the wife said something like, well, we just tell them to look at our fruit. And we have 25,000 people every Sunday. And so therefore we're right. Well, actually, you know, Jesus, right before he talked about false teachers and, and wolves in sheep's clothing, he said, the narrow road is the one that leads to the truth. The broad road, which many are on, leads to destruction. So it's not an exact principle, but the, the larger that is, the less likely it is to be true. And the, the opposite is not necessary. Just because you have three people in your church doesn't mean you're teaching the truth. Which was the <laughs> disciple when, when Jesus said, you know, these, these words are hard, and they all walked away. He said, you know, would you leave also? And, and one of the disciples said, where else will we go? For you alone possess the words of life. I mean, when he had laid it out, everyone peeled off. It was not a seeker-sensitive sermon. And, you know, it was like the 101st Airborne. Everyone bailed out after that. And there was a handful of guys. He preached it down to a manageable size. 
And, and, and here you have Joel Osteen's wife using that as justification. I, I get it. It doesn't make any sense. Right, right. And so that was Peter in uh, John 6, and Raptor gave him a hard teaching, right? And, and, yeah. and that's the way you, you winnow out things, so to speak. And um, so also one of the things that has happened, though, with the, the, the um, church growth principles and all that, people tend to equate today that popularity equals truth. If this yeah. book is popular, if this person's popular, if this movement is popular, therefore, and look, all these people are endorsing it, and so on, so on, so on. and that that is what it is. But it doesn't mean it's truth or error. But we still need to go to the Word and say, wait a minute, okay, where does this fit with Scripture? And with social media and wanting to be liked and getting likes, and getting followers, and that's how you you uh, you promote your church and your marketing. And, and, and then you're pressurized, or you're, excuse me, you're pressured to continue to follow the, the cultural narrative so as not to offend and maintain your followers and be popular because that's your metric, because it's a business metric. And then you compromise truth because people don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to have you talk about blood. They don't want to have to talk, you know, they don't want any of that. So you don't teach the whole counsel of God. You avoid the, the difficult topics. You, you change the narrative. And that's, that's where you, I guess, you're saying you get, uh, you get adjusted to the increase in the temperature that will soon be a boiling pot, as you were using the, the frog in the, the, the pot right. illustration. Right, right. As well as, you know, what, what happens with a lot of these, they grow and they buy a bigger building and, now, and they borrow and they're like, now they're stuck. Like, we can't just turn around and start teaching the truth. What do people leave? Yeah. And then we're going to have to fire pastor so-and-so and worship leader so-and-so and this person, that person, and, and maybe the senior pastor and shut down the church because we uh, overspent and, and all of that. So they kind of back themselves in the corner that way rather than let's just teach the truth and see what God does. And we still want to be practical and work on various things. We're not ignoring reality, but but they subtly compromise the the word. And and one thing you mentioned, sin, and there's a book that I, I want to finish, and hopefully this year, but I've been dabbling in it for a while, but it's called Sin, Love, and Counterfeit Love. And, and one of the things that, one of the marks that you can tell of a, a good teacher and a false teacher, other than obviously the Bible, maybe the next one is how how do they handle sin? What do they teach about sin? And we're in a culture right now that, you know, the, Mainly the, the only sin is to call sin, sin. That's the chief sin, at least. Uh, or the, the, the chief sin is to be a Christian, a biblical Christian. I read an uh, article a couple months ago in the New York Times. It was a woman that she was walking down the street and maybe in New York, I don't know, and uh, her little daughter, four or five, six years old, saw a sign, somebody had a sign, a placard that said something about sin, and the daughter says, Mom, what's, what's sin? And she goes into the long story, but it's basically that she wants to raise her daughter without the idea of sin. And do you realize what that means to that poor girl or whoever else? And, and it's not that we want to go grab people and catch them. You're sinning and that, you know, you big sinner. But that's a big part of the gospel, right? You, you don't really have the gospel. To, so that's what happens in these church growth movements. It's like we can't teach about sin. It's just God loves you. And if you just believe in him, you're, you're good. And rather than working through, like you said, the blood and sin and all that, and it's so like we, it's like it's like having cancer and you have a lump, you know, wherever it manifests itself in your body, and you say, well, that doesn't exist. Well, you can't treat it if you don't say it exists, and and 
And yet that's the thing that separates us from our Creator and the necessity of having to reconcile that and have that resolved and having Christ's righteousness put on our account and that, that He can cleanse us of all unrighteousness to be reconciled to the Father. If you remove this idea that mankind is innately good and there's no such thing as sin and, and that you're just calling evil good and good evil, and over time it just it's destructive to a culture and a society and 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 in a materialistic world, there's no metaphysical concepts of good and evil, right and wrong. And so it, it it's just a complete breakdown and it, and it creates chaos. Absolutely. And there's even a, he's not a Christian, but he wrote a book about fifty years ago, Carl, Dr. Carl Menninger, and it was called Whatever Became of Sin. And he noticed, you know, there's not, we stopped calling sin, sin. And this was in the early 70s. Um, and he was alarmed by it. And it wasn't that he had this biblical understanding, but it was just more a personal responsibility. And we want to deal with it in that level. And, uh, you know, I, I got have got to know a, a woman that just came out of the new age like four years ago. And she she was like four steps down from Oprah. She, she still has like a million followers. And um, but she always considered herself as a Christian even though she was overtly new age and she was Christian science, so she considered herself Christian. And funny story, she was even on the 700 Club 10, 20 years ago. They asked her out because they thought she was a Christian. She did too. And they went out to dinner afterwards and she started talking about all this crazy stuff and got really awkward really quick. But her name's Doreen Virtue. And, uh, but the one thing that brought her out of it, she was driving somewhere and, and she would listen to even uh, K-Love and not yeah. Caleb, but, but what's uh, the, the Calvary K-Wave. Chapel? K-Wave. K-Wave. And, but she finally heard a message, not that she didn't then, but uh, by Alistair Begg on sin. And that was the first time really that it hit her about four years ago and that led her to salvation. But she had never really heard about sin because in the new age, it's kind of like that, that there's no sin. There's no evil. There's no such thing. Right. All that kind of stuff. And all of, but we at the church, a lot of it is we're being, we're letting that into our church. So, so, so the next one is mysticism. Uh, that's kind of the new age and that's kind of closely to what uh, new agers would say and a lot of the practices in that. And uh, we have a lengthier explanation in it, but mysticism to define it more in a shorter thing would be, it's kind of these techniques that people have that use man-made techniques to have some kind of mystical union experience with God or some extra special knowledge of God that's extra biblical and often unbiblical or anti-bible and so they practice these techniques and they're accepted in in the in the church more and more so it's like well that's you're just hearing from god well we can hear from god and you know mainly from scripture and all that kind of stuff but these are they're they're indistinguishable from from uh the new age and the occult and again i was meeting with a lady in in oregon or somewhere like that. And she said, uh, she just came out amazing on fire for God. And she's her first thing. She told, where's the discernment? She used that word. What's wrong with the church? Don't they see what they're doing? I just came out of this for 25 years and all of this kind of stuff. And also back to humanistic psychology and counseling. She said that she was experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression, like a lot of people are. And, and so, uh, she would in the new age, they would do two things, yoga and meditation which was causing a lot of her anxiety and and depression. So she would go to therapist after therapist and every single therapist, a dozen or so, the first thing they said after she told them what was wrong, they said, well, have you tried yoga and and meditation? (laughs) That's what's causing it. Uh, So 
wherever people yeah. turn, they're not getting the truth. And so that's why the world is getting darker and darker and darker. And there's a lot of these things that are, they're not just saying, here, try this overtly new age occultic thing, but, but it's basically the same thing uh, phrased differently. Yeah, it's repackaged and subtly inserted. Now, what, what's, the, what's the next of, of, of the list of these? So we go from mysticism to what? So it's the, the social gospel. This the is social, a good one. Right. The social gospel, and it's not just the social gospel, it's replacing the gospel. And it's also demeaning the gospel and anyone that believes in it. So that if you did believe this, in Did this start with Iaconelli and Tony Campolo? Because I remember as a youth minister, I was just being inundated with all this youth ministry stuff and this social gospel, and it, it just always struck me as odd. I mean, everyone wanted to go and resolve social ills, and they wanted to see that and apply the justice of God and resolve it. But these guys ended up, I mean, when I, yeah, it, it ended up just going south really quick. And, and now social, yeah, cover that. Well, it, it actually started over 100 years ago. It's been around. It's kind of this liberal kind of thing. And again, to replace, they don't believe in the substitution of your atonement. They say that the right. gospel, what you and I believe is cosmic child abuse. So that's an evil doctrine to them. And so they replace it with, well, what Jesus really meant is that we need to change society. It's good works. And, you know, we have, a, and even like, I think Barack Obama would believe in a, a collective salvation. If we are good enough and whatnot, then we can be collectively saved. And he, he, may, he believes something along those lines and other people do too. But the social gospel is, again, replacing the gospel with how to make the world a better place. And then the social part is it's kind of a social, excuse me, a, a gateway air into uh social justice and socialism and because it's emphasizing justice it's like and even and i saw a young lady from my alma mater where rick warren went to as well uh said she's a professor she said god jesus died on the cross to start a revolution of justice so that's that's the gospel it's justice temporal justice by the way and so it's replaced eternal justice or even the concern about eternal justice, which is the most important thing for every individual, <laughs> what kind of justice you're going to get, where you go, they're replacing that, minimizing it, mocking it, and replacing it with social justice. We just need to make the society better, which it always makes it worse, and there's a whole set of problems with that. Right. And so right. that's the social gospel. And then that leads into, right on the late 90s and the early 2000s started the emerging church, and or the emergent church, as some people said, and called it and some people maybe younger may not know what that is because it kind of faded away and here's the good news because a lot of people right around 2000 2005 or in 2010 somewhere in that stood up kind of like what's going on today and they're like whoa 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 this is crazy talk but it's the emergent church was basically postmodernism a spiritual right. form of postmodernism where we're gonna we have to appeal to the postmodern crowd and the Bible just doesn't cut it. Again, we're cutting out the Bible. That doesn't work. That offends people, whatever. Yeah, it can. That doesn't mean we cut it out. Uh, but we're going to replace it with what feels good. And so postmodernism can be described rightly in a bunch of different ways. But one summary, and I remember talking to Dave Brown about this, um, our friend, and we mentioned him earlier. But, um, I'll have him on the program. Okay, good. And I, I summarized it that what I saw happening was feelings are supreme. That's what's happening right now. And that's what it, subjectivity, what I feel, what I've experienced, that determines or trumps truth. So if I feel a certain way, that can trump whatever you say uh, or the Bible says. I feel like, you know, that's not true. Or I feel like my truth is this. And 
and I've had this experience and that that preceded uh, postmodernism, but it, they just kind of exalted that to the extreme. And that, and what that does is it makes us God. Right. And so I am the de facto God. If I can say, well, I'm, I'm not a this or I'm not a that I'm because why? Oh, cause I feel this way. I have yeah. such yeah. A, this amount of feelings in this direction. So therefore what you observe is not true. That's your truth. And this is my truth. And I feel, and yeah. Right. And so that, that started growing. There's Brian McLaren. He wrote a bunch of stuff, and I have some good, very just fascinating, disturbing quotes in the book from him, and even uh, a guy named Leonard Sweet, who he would probably uh, not say that. And he kind of, oh, I'm not a new ager, but he's very new age. Uh, a friend of mine has written material on that, on that guy, and, and where he's coming from. But it's all the subjectivity and doing away with objectivity. So if you and they were they were in major sorry they were in major Christian publications and Absolutely. and had a huge influence in mainline Christianity. Absolutely, and and they were just sucking people in and yep. and the the they were they were drawing in people because they were appealing to feelings and even and Mark Driscoll would kind of start it off with them and then he said okay they're getting a little crazy and then Mark Driscoll probably got a little crazy and for different reasons but but he has a quote I have a quote there that he said that Christianity needs to appeal to all five senses. So you need to have all the bells and whistles, as they would say, smells and bells in the in the church, in the sanctuary, all that kind of stuff, because that's what will draw postmoderns in. And maybe, maybe not, but what's going to keep them? Is it the word or is it these experiences? And when these experiences stop, then I'm done. Rather than it has to be God's word, it has to be the truth. So again, the good news, there's a, we have a, a, a lengthy chapter on that, but um, again, the good news, people stood up. Yeah, and and they said no, 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 no. This is and by the way, Rob Bell, he was probably him and Brian McLaren were probably battling for number one there. And uh, Rob Bell said, you know what changed everything for me when we discovered that God's word is not a divine product; it's a man-made product. And people just mm. go, oh, that's that's amazing. Oh, that's so enlightened. And he's buddy buddies with Oprah and other people. Yep. And and people today to this day in churches will still defend Rob Bell. What's wrong with it? What's wrong? What's wrong? So. Um, that's all that craziness, and you're familiar with postmodernism. We have a lengthy chapter on that. And then, the, the, if you want to say some more on that, no, no. I, let, let's go to the next. The next. Okay. Oh, the, this is the final one, right? Uh, there's two more. So the, we've okay, kind of touched on already, but the, the world-approved Christianity. So when the good news, world-approved world Christianity, right? Okay. And so when when I'm a Christian, I claim Christ. Yet my all my beliefs roughly are in agreement with the enemies of Christ. That's nonsensical, it's oxymoron, it's self-defeating, all that kind of stuff, but yet that's where they are. And so also because they've joined with the enemies of God, at least in beliefs, now who do they attack? Who do they see as the evil ones? Biblical Christians, right? right. And so all of these we're, errors- We're, we're pro-Palestinian, we're pro pro-BLM Inc., we're uh, pro-choice, we're, uh, you know, the, the nuclear family is, you're able to redefine that from a scriptural perspective, but we're still Christian. Right, right. And we're, no, and we're the enlightened ones. Actually, we're, we're right. the ones that are loving. Love yeah, we're is tolerant. Love. We're, we're tolerant. Right. And tolerant, accepting, and all that diverse except for biblical Christians. By the way, with the emerging church, it, to summarize, it was just about every belief system is good except one, biblical Christianity. And they were very aggressive and, and subtle and aggressive in attacking biblical Christianity, and they would call them bibliolaters. 
And so you and I would be a bibliolater, and we have some stuff on that and a very awesome quote from uh, Spurgeon on that. Uh, so, by the way, so everything, again, like I said in this, has one thing in common, to subvert biblical values, biblical truths, right. including Judeo-Christian values. And so Dennis right. Prager would, would agree, other Jews would agree, that it's all trying to subvert. That's what all of these things going on today, they have that in common to undercut God's written word. And everybody, by the way, is going to be tested on that. And not, not in the way that people mock, like, is God going to give us a theology test? When we no, not that. But but testing is in, in like in the parable of the four uh, soils. And Jesus said in, in Matthew 13, 21, he says, but when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Yeah. And so that's what's happening. That's what's dividing people, purging, refining is, yes, Israel, all these other things, common sense, all that kind of stuff. But what did they believe about the word? And people that you and I know a year ago, five, 10 years ago, that believe the same we do, now they believe the opposite. Yeah. I, I'm, and, I'm shocked. People that were formative in my Christian growth are, are AWOL. They're gone. Just well, crazy. I don't know. That, that's better than they're anti-Christian. That's often what they are. I don't know about those people. They, they, would, they would say that what you and I believe are, are evil. Yeah. I don't know if you have that experience. I do. Uh, I have. People... I, I, was a, I was attacked by the pastor of the flagship of the Calvary Chapels um, when I had addressed the BLM Inc. issue and, and stuff he was doing. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm the enemy, apparently. And so that's what's, you know, perplexing us, like, you know, wait a minute, what, what, didn't we just share the gospel together? Didn't we go over here together and all that? And, that, and it's not like we just, okay, we kind of diverge over here. It's like now we're polar opposites. And uh, why? Deception. And these compromises that led up to that and people with all these pressures that come in with, are you for BLM or not? Are you Antifa or not? Are you for, uh, are you against Israel or not? Are you, and, and people that want to be compassionate and they are often, they, they acquiesce. And so one of the things that is destroying our church and the world is I, I call it compassion minus discernment, just to simplify it. Yeah. These compassionate people, but they're not discerning. They, they mean well, but they have no idea what they're doing. Right, they, they're, they're a lot of ignorance, they, don't, they lack knowledge, but also yep. they just, they don't decipher between the, well, with this and that, and oh yeah, the Bible just says, oh, and that person, I see where they're going. No, they just, I care a lot. And God's just going to judge my heart that I care, yeah. not if I'm factual or truthful. Yeah. And so the last one, were you going to say something? Nope. Okay, the last one is uh, the, the woke church. So we went from world-approved Christianity to the woke church, and that's just further as left as you can go. It's just leftism. And leftism is basically Marxism and totalitarianism, where everyone has to be, has to think the same way. That's what totalitarianism is by definition, right. the collective, everybody. And so there will always be dissenters, and so they have to be done away with. They have to be addressed, the gulags, the guillotine, whatever it might be, and it's not an exaggeration. Obviously, it's happened, and we're on that trajectory unless something happens. So people are acquiescing to that and giving in to that, and then there's some people that are peeling off and saying, no, 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 we, we're making a stand against that, and they're being canceled and all that kind of stuff. But that's where we are, the woke church, but they don't, again, in the tolerance kind of thing, they do it in the name of tolerance, love, unity, while they're, they're, they're viciously attacking and demonizing people for believing in the Bible, for believing what yeah. they did a year ago. 
Yep. And it doesn't occur to them. And so that's why I think there's, it's, you know, the, people can be deceived. I could lie to you and you could believe it. And I got I, you know, deceived you or vice versa. But this is deeper. This is spiritual. And I don't get into all that, you know, whatever people might think. But it's, there's just something dark and sinister to get to this level of deception. For the, with the, for the sake of time, I let, give us, uh, so you, it, a book I haven't obviously read, but we come to the conclusion of it. I want everyone to read it, and I promise you I will. Give us a, the conclusion of, of how we're to restore this. What, what, is, what, is the, what are the actuary points? What, where did you go with this at the conclusion of it? Well, you know, to one, you know, the question at that, after seven deadly errors, can it get worse? And yeah, actually it can, and, and yep, on this trajectory, yep. but but it doesn't have to be. We can all stand up, and I know you're standing up, and other people are standing up, and we're trying to say, we're trying to warn people. And even if it's just one person, you know, equipping ourselves and talking to as many people as we can. And, you know, I'm sure you have material, I have material, and you, you're better at speaking than I am. And I, maybe I'm, you said I'm better writing, I'm not good at it, but that's what I'm better than at speaking. But but we have material, and if people need it, absolutely. This book is, by the way, free if people want it. But uh, we have other books, and if people really need it, we'll gladly give it to them free. Uh, but to equip yourselves as much as possible to know what's going on and how to love people with this, with the truth. And yeah. in the last two verses of James, it says, Dear brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and yeah. cover over yeah. multitude. What could be better than saving a soul from death? And I'm pretty sure you've actually saved someone's life more as a lifeguard. Is that right? Yeah. And so I can't imagine what that feeling is like, but but you're saving a soul from death, meaning not just now, but for eternity. And and yeah. what yeah. a blessing that is to that person. But and and if it needs to be one at a time, because they, you know, right now the 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 power, so to speak, as far as technology and all that stuff, but we have divine power, as scripture says. And we need to tap into that and get back to the word. And stop compromising. Each individual needs to do that and unify with each other and build that strength in God and God's people and to speak against it. Like I said, with the emerging church, enough people did rise up and it died down. The the the, the website for it no longer exists. We don't use that word much anymore, just as far as referring from the past. You don't hear Brian McLaren much. And why? Because enough people rose up. And that's what we yeah, need to do yeah. now. And we can. And it's just a matter of people. Uh, doing that. And, and, you know, I start the book and in the book with uh, Daniel 9, 13, and, and it's in the context of their sin. And it says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities or sin and understand your truth. And we haven't yet done that. Some people have, but we need to do that more. Turn from our iniquities and understand your truth, get back to the word. That's what we need to do. That's awesome, Mark. Uh, I, we'll, we'll close with that just for the sake of time, but I, I want you to come back and talk more on it. And uh, how far are you into this other book that you, you're writing? Um, I've you know, probably finished at least 80 to 90% of it, but it's just finding time. And you know, I want to finish it, and then this came up. And you know, I wrote this probably in a month or so, because I'm like, wow. Because, you know, you asked why I did it, and I was just, you know, I'm, I'm so grieved, as you are, and, I'm, and I do have a love for the truth, I hope, and I hate, I hate error, I hate sin, because it kills people, literally. It hurts people, kills people, 
it grieves God, it grieves other people. And so I want to be out there warning people and keeping them from a soul from death or just from hurting themselves or whatever. And I want everybody to, to have that. So yes, so if these themes keep popping up, but I would love to finish it in the next few months and uh, um, have that ready to go. That'd be great. Well, you, you say the book's free, but it's not, nothing's free. You're, you, you purchased it, you paid for it, folks donate. You never ask for money. Even the counseling you do is by donation. You never ask for money. You live by faith. I, I've always loved that about you. It, it's the thing that's inspired me. We don't pass an offering back. We don't ask. But I, 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 I can say to folks that uh, have been moved by what you've shared, support this man. Be a part of what they're doing. Uh, you can you can see that it's not about money to him, and so, you know, bless Mark. It, it, participate in the ministry, and, and Mark, help me help them connect with you. What's the best way that they can connect with your ministry? Uh, HopeForLifeOnline.com, uh, and go there, and you know, whatever email, text. Hope HopeForLife.com. HopeForLifeOnline. Okay, HopeForLifeOnline.com. And I know that you know this, but I, I and especially about your wife. But I want to mention my. We say we or they, but yes, my wife. You know, she she does so much uh, does. of this, absolutely. And you know, also as you married your wife, and you know, you can only do what you do if if you were unified with your wife. If she didn't have the same mindset, and so, you know, my wife, we we are totally in this together. And she she has to deal with a lot of people that they go, oh, you're Mark Baker's wife. Oh, and they walk away or whatever because they don't want to be associated with biblical counseling or whatever, because that's a bad thing to some people or whatever. I don't know. But um, she is, uh, I'm so blessed by her, as many people are, and just want to give her the, the credit that's due. Uh, with all of her art, artwork and, and the work she does, give everyone a link to that, because they can see the beautiful side of this marriage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's accurate. Okay, can't yeah, argue yeah. there. Um, yeah. Hopeinc.com, I-N-K, you know, uh, like uh, ink for yeah. drawing, that kind of thing. Um, That's great. And, I think and they'll, a... find, they'll find her work there, and they'll be able to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Mark. Uh, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be with you. We'll catch up. I, I haven't been with you in person in a while, so we need to do that. Um, but, but thank you for joining us and sharing uh, about you. your book, and thanks for making it available to folks to be able to read Check out his website and also his wife's, and we'll also post that in case you guys didn't hear it. And uh, we always close with number six, so I'm going to do that tonight, uh, number six. And this is the blessing for you, Mark, and your family, and also for all the folks tuning in. So let me read it to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, thanks for joining us tonight with Mark Baker, my longtime friend. I, I, I'd like to say my oldest friend, but that, that's getting troublesome because we're, we're both in our 50s and we're not getting younger. But I, I meant it in the sense that we've been friends a long time, since grade school. And he's my longest Christian friend. I haven't had a Christian friend longer than I have with Mark. And I'm blessed by the way God's used him and his wife and uh, so excited uh, to be a part of what they're doing. Please support their ministry. And thank you, Mark, for all you do. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm Vintage McCoy, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Hey, guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com.
or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.